Welcome to Job Sharing and Beyond, the future of work podcast that goes beyond the traditional nine to five. I am Karen Tischler, speaker, consultant, and host of the show, where we hear from global experts every other week to discover innovative solutions and tips on how to remain a relevant employer in the future. Hello, everybody. I am very happy to introduce my guest to you today. Apta Garg is a senior program officer at Promundo. Her role is to support programmatic initiatives across the organization's thematic areas. She focuses primarily on Promundo's programs in Latin America and the Caribbean, managing multiple programs and initiatives to integrate gender transformative approaches to advance gender equality and prevent violence. In her role as program officer, she designs programming and curricula, facilitates capacity building trainings, monitors and evaluates programmatic impacts and coordinates multi-stakeholder projects. APTA also manages several programs around fatherhood, caregiving, violence prevention, and building capacity of local grassroots organizations and activists. She also serves as the technical co-coordinator of the Men Care campaign. She previously worked at Vital Voices Global Partnership as program coordinator for Latin America and the Caribbean, coordinating the implementation of trainings, programs, and emergency assistance grants related to gender-based violence and human trafficking. Prior to her time at Vital Voices, she worked for four years as a community liaison and legal assistant at MFY Legal Services, where she oversaw projects related to community development and advocacy on behalf of low-income New Yorkers. APTA received her master's degree in international development with a focus on gender and development from American University School of International Service. She also has a BA in political science and Hispanic studies from Vasa College. Welcome to the show, Apta. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. It is so nice to have you here. Now, for our listeners, could you tell them, please, where you're calling in from and what particular site or food is special to the area where you're at? Well, I am calling in from Washington, D.C., And in DC, I think, you know, food culture is really big. It's an international city where you can get a large variety of different um, foods from all over the world. So that's something special about here. And plus being in the capital, there's a lot of really wonderful sites and history here as well in DC. After you are a senior program officer at Promundo and in that capacity, you are doing among your other duties the global lead for the Men Care campaign. And could you share with our listeners more about your work, please? Promundo is an international organization. It was founded in 1997 in Brazil with the belief that 
gender equality is a social good for the world, a social, uh, social benefit for the world, and that overcoming gender inequalities and patriarchy and advancing gender equality is not necessary for women, men, individuals, and all gender identities. So what that means is we envision a world where all people work to create a nonviolent, caring, gender equitable future for themselves and for their children. And importantly, we work with men and boys for gender equality, but with a lens of holding individuals and institutions, um, including ourselves at Promundo, accountable to global goals of equality and justice. And we do this across three main areas through research. So um, providing research around um, men's understanding, tolerance, or, or how they're shaped to around social, uh, socializing their masculinity and how their ideas around gender equality are shaped. Um, programming and interventions that, uh, that work with men and couples and young boys and young women around those identities around gender equality to build healthy masculinities on the individual level and within relationships. And then advocacy with institutions and policymakers and, and workplaces to create supporting environments, supporting and enabling environments to allow for an advanced gender equality. And when you mentioned the Men Care Campaign, so the Men Care Campaign is an initiative that was started and is still coordinated by Promundo and our colleagues, Sanke Gender Justice, an NGO that's located in South Africa. It's a global fatherhood campaign active in more than 55 countries over five continents with a specific mission to promote men's involvement um, as equitable, nonviolent fathers and caregivers in order to achieve well-being of communities, well, uh, gender equality, um, reductions in, in violence, and better health for mothers, fathers, and children. Uh, right now, we, we recently um, launched the State of the World's Fathers, which is an advocacy publication of the Men Care Campaign that helps to collate and, and disseminate data around how fathers and male caregivers can be, um, how best to unlock the, uh, unlock the, the power of care and increase the uptake of men's caregiving within the family. Thank you very much. And you just mentioned the state of the world's father's report. And um, I'm super excited that you guys put this together because I feel there is so little data typically available specifically for men and men role models and actions that could be taken um, in order to achieve gender equality. And so could you give our listeners an overview of some of the report's findings? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, and I absolutely agree with um, your statement about the lack of data. I think, you know, when it comes to Gender, gender initiatives and achieving gender equality, there needs to be greater um, and greater depth, greater scope around a lot of the research. And Promundo is one of the few as well. Uh, there's a network of alliances called the Men Engage Alliance and other alliances around male engagement, but Promundo and Men Care, um, one of its mission is to, to do that, to kind of close the gap around data and research so we can really see what are the enablers, what are the entry points, what are the barriers around achieving these initiatives. So the State of the World's Fathers comes out of that belief of 
using research for impact. It's a globally recognized biennial report and advocacy platform. So, and aims to change power structures, policies, and social norms around care work to advance gender equality. The goal of the report presents not only the state of the field, so interventions, data, programming that involves men as fathers or male caregivers to achieve gender equality, but it also advances a kind of a vision and a pathway to achieve men's full participation in unpaid caregiving and care work for the benefit of women, children, men themselves and the communities. So it started in, the first edition came out in 2015 and since then we've released a new edition every two years. Um, and this most recent edition is, works to kind of take the data we have around individual drivers or drivers on the individual level for men's, uh, for uptake of men's caregiving or expanding men's caregiving within the home and sort of redirect a light um, towards kind of larger structural actions to achieve caregiving. We've been working really hard with individual men, with households, with couples and communities around the world to try and close the care gap and we need better participation and stronger systems on the structural level in order to actually be able to achieve what is a very lofty miss mission. So this recent edition really shows um, and highlights that we're about 92 years away from achieving equality in unpaid care work between men and women, and that no country in the world has achieved equality in unpaid care work, and no country in the world has a policy or a target date to achieve it. So if you think about this past year in which we've been, we've seen a crisis of care, the fact that no country has, has targeted the, the, a date or targeted indicators to achieving um, kind of care equity or support for care is quite striking. And, you know, we've kind of, uh, we approach it through the lens, our core lens of it. We see men's full participation in care work as part of a necessary and urgent revolution to center care and economies, society and lives to advance gender equality, but not just because of their, we wanna center men as kind of the goal or the solution. There are means to an end. We must include them in order to be able to achieve our ultimate ends. But centering men is not the goal. It's about centering care families and women and girls specifically who have been overburdened with care for many, many years, for centuries. I think many of your listeners are well aware that care work has long been invisible, unpaid or underpaid and underfunded and it is, is disproportionately performed by women and girls. Societies and economies depend on care, whether at home, um, in child care or elder care or in broader social structures and economies. I think right now this, the statistics have it as globally, women do three to 10 times more unpaid care and domestic work than men and also make up 70% of the paid global care workforce. Most, most recently, um, if we take a look at this past year in the pandemic and COVID-19, it's thrown these care inequalities into, into stark relief. Women have continued to do the lion's share of care work around the world during the, uh, the pandemic, um, which has, as we know, with lockdown, um, school closures, shelter in place, and limitations in mobility, increased in total. 
um, for all families. There's also been a well-noted surge in domestic violence perpetrated by men against women during the lockdown, and women have also faced disproportionate job loss. So all told, adding new and undue strains on mental health, economic security, and physical well-being. So we are seeing these urgent calls or urgent needs for action, uh, not just on the individual and the community level, which we have seen step up and, and try to do what it can in this pandemic, but from larger institutions um, and larger um, uh, systems to be able to, to address that. It's not all doom and gloom though. The report does have some good news men are participating more in unpaid care work during the pandemic, given that they're now at home more, they're in closer contact with their family, they are participating more and in more meaningful ways. Um, and you're seeing that benefit. Um, the report shows that many men who are spending more time with their children are experiencing less stress and better mental health as a result of it. Surveys with women and men in 47 countries. So this was a survey that was conducted by UN Women and UNDP, a rapid assessment around um, COVID-19 lockdowns and, gen and a gender tracker to, to see how these um, policies were implicating or affecting um, gender indicators. We see that men have been doing more hands-on care work during the COVID-19 pandemic than any other time in recent history. So it's really offering an opportunity to engage men in making that shift permanent and sharing the care equally. So we have this opportunity. Um, this possibility does come with it an urgent need to reinforce and build upon because we've also seen that in previous crises or disasters, those men in the communities have in the immediate aftermath of pre those previous crises or disasters took on more, but in the long term communities end up returning to the, that traditional division of labor between men and women in the household and within the communities. And so given that we, that even with men's increased participation, women are still doing exponentially more work and that men, individual men are taking on more, we're, we are looking towards governments, to policymakers, to politicians, to workplaces, to in, to school institutions, educational sectors, health sectors, to really help create um, systems that support families and encouragements increasing uptake and care and that redistribution and rewarding and, um, of work, of care work. So this year's Day of the World's Fathers puts forward seven recommended actions to achieve more care, a more caring, equitable and environmentally sustainable um, just world kind of post pandemic. And really the recommendations are inspired by a lot of the work from vital, well, the vital work of feminists, women's rights organizations and social justice organizations around the world. I don't know if you want me to list out the different actions or. You know, I think it honestly, I don't know how many people have had the opportunity to read either the executive summary or the full report. So if you don't mind, I think it would be very helpful for our listeners to learn what these seven actions are. Of course. Um, so the seven different actions are in no specific order, but they really, and they really work in tangent and build upon one, one another rather than being separate different actions. 
But um, what we're looking at, uh, what we see is best practices and models for being able to ach achieve and close the caregive, uh, the caregiving gap um, is around, you know, implementing national care systems or care policies. So for instance, Uruguay has a national care system that works to centralize and kind of have um, kind of create a centralized role for the government in achieving care. Um, kind of the redistribution, remuneration, reward, and recognition of, of work, of care work. Um, action two is around parental leave and creating um, equitable, non-transferable, fully paid parental leave for all parents. We see across the board that while more countries are taking on or expanding maternal, maternity leave and paternity leave, it's still not enough at equitable levels. It's not necessarily fully paid. And what we're also seeing is that many same-sex parents are not receiving the same benefits as heterosexual parents. So what we're, and what we're trying to achieve is that all caregivers, regardless of their definition, regardless of their sexual orientation or the status of their relationship has access to these types of flexible leave policies. Um, we also see the expansion of social protection programs as being integral to this process. During the past year, you've seen a number of governments expanding the amount of um, vouchers, cash assistance, benefit programs, childcare subsidies that families are able to, to utilize in order to help them sustain their families, sustain their economic security during the growth or uh, during the pandemic. And we see that as great in terms of pandemic, but it is needed to be expanded during all times. So in Latin America, for instance, you see a lot of cash transfers that are targeted at women who have children, kind of reinforcing mothers as the primary caretakers. How do we expand social protection programs so that we don't um, undermine the value of increasing women's economic security, but also doesn't reinforce that women with children are the automatic caregivers in the family and that men should take on more. Other social protections include expanding sort of sick leave, flexible leave, paid leave to those workers who are not part of the formal workforce. So when we talk about a lot of parental leave policies and benefits such as health insurance, that's usually located within a lot of, that's far expanded in formal work settings. And we have many um, workers and you know, gig workers, those who are in the informal sector who don't have access to those same types of benefits. So really expanding social protections in order to, to create equity in, in achieving and, and accessing those benefits. Number four is around working to transform health institutions to enable caregiving from an early stage. Fatherhood um, is one of the most important entry points to engaging men in these conversations around gender equality. So utilizing the health systems, um, specifically around kind of a first time individuals become parents to really increase men's um, understanding, awareness and ability and skills to, to engage deeper in children's involvement. Creating um, what we call an ethic of male care from an early onset. So working with schools, um, and youth programs to work with young men to build this idea and this value of care from an early onset. 
working with workplaces, number six, working with workplaces to, to expand conditions to allow for and prioritize care as a, a benefit and as a, to the organization, to the individuals. And then finally, um, holding male politicians accountable for um, passing this legislation. You've seen in the pandemic, a lot of acclaim for female uh, heads of states who have been able to, to guide countries during, during lockdown, during the pandemic. And you've seen many women politicians driving uh, childcare institution and infrastructure economies and, and passing these bills or trying to raise awareness and not enough from male politicians. And we need more of that. It can't just be that we elect women leaders to address gender equality. All um, politicians need to be held accountable for these um, four items and issues that affect all communities. That these are so important, you know, actions. And as you mentioned, the last one about more involvement from a politician point of view, that brings me to my next question mm -hmm. that your company's CEO, Gary Barker, was last week part mm -hmm. of a panel discussion at the Generation Equality Forum in Paris. And at that forum, it was announced that there will be a $40 billion investment globally to support gender equality. And then there is also a global alliance for care that was announced, which I'm super excited mm -hmm. about. Do you have any more you know, insights or next steps coming out of this amazing announcement? Yeah, I think I agree that it has been really amazing. The Global Alliance on, uh, for Care came out of a dedicated commitment, uh, joint commitment between the government of Mexico and UN Women. And you've seen a lot of countries kind of participate in increasing the amount of funding specifically around uh, care. And I think that what we saw at the Generation Equality Forum, it was such an important moment to demonstrate how much of our economies or societies have been shaped by unpaid or underpaid care work. And there's finally an acknowledgement that um, our economies have been subsidized by the unpaid care work of women and girls and other communities. So centering care as part of what makes our communities functions is a big step in the global community. What I think we need to be looking towards next is really monitoring and holding accountable these institutions that have made these ambitious commitments. Um, we wanna see these commitments developed, implemented with quality, well-resourced, um, and making sure that they are inclusive and not, and not um, inadvertently excluding or overburdening um, other uh, communities. And when they talk about expanding childcare, that they are talking about all caregivers, not just women, women as, as mothers. That when they're talking about expanding parental leave, what does that mean? Who that it is um, obligatory for all parents to be able to take it. Um, that we're not losing momentum. That it's not just kind of locked into this one week um, or three days in July, but that it is a continued force. So I think one thing that will be really important going forward is for governments and institutions and those who made those commitments to really work with activists, civil society, and caregivers themselves in a meaningful way to, to meet these, the ambition of these commitments. From our end in, in Promundo, 
will be supporting the, uh, the goals and the missions of the Global Alliance on Care by continuing to expand and scale up evidence-based practices with our partners. So that means working deeper and uh, more effectively with fathers and male caregivers on the individual level and within communities, and then scaling up those practices so that they become institutionalized and more widespread and become part of the, the way that many health institutions and education institutions, for example, work with men and boys. And then working with our partners in the Men Care Campaign to mobilize and drive greater structural interventions towards care. We, we know which, uh, which policies or which types of actions are needed to address um, the care crisis. And so how do we build campaigns and advocate to push the needle forward? This, this sounds just awesome. And now, you know, I'm a big supporter of job sharing and top sharing for everybody. And often that type of flexible work gets lumped into the mommy track. Well, you know, we, we can maybe do this and it will help somebody who just recently had a young child. When in reality, in my mind, this is an amazing opportunity for everybody during many aspects of their lives, whether that is wanting to write a book, having a side hassle, wanting to maybe study. And so having a part-time job, but instead of a part-time job where people perceive there is maybe less dedication or they are not given enough responsibility, being a job sharer really allows you to work in a micro team with your co-tandem um, partner. And then you can continue your career albeit on a you know uh, fewer hours for a period of time and it clearly has been demonstrated that it is also possible on a um, you know manager senior manager level yet when I talk to people a lot have never heard of job sharing even though I've interviewed a professor who from in Canada, wrote a book about it 40 years ago. So I'm trying to figure out what can be done. And, you know, as in your action six, you're looking at workplaces, you're looking at flexible work. What can we do to make job sharing a more common option for flexible work in the workplace? I think it's so important to really look at this and see the ways that workplaces can both reinforce or enable these kind of progressive job sharing or opportunities for everyone without kind of focal, um, focusing in on just women. And I think, you know, we, so I think if you, you'll read in the report and a lot of the work that Promundo does, these Dragni words of gender blind versus gender transformative, which for many people doesn't really um, doesn't really amount to much. It sounds very abstract, but for us, what that means in in um, simpler terms is that: Do you understand the the stereotypes, the implications, the practices of a community, and the gendered ways in which labor works? Um, and ideas and and uh, et cetera are and are divided between men and women. 
that's, and if you do not take that lens into account, that's gender blind. So when you have these flex work policies, a lot of them are gender blind because they believe if you put it on the table, everyone has equal access to it. So they'll take it if they need it. But that's not the way societies are conditioned. That's not the way they're set up. Um, we know that we are all socialized um, to, to act a certain way based upon our communities, our environments. And so a lot of the work and what we try and emphasize is around gender transformative policies. That again, sounds very jargony, but what it means um, essentially is that we're looking not just to understand how um, policies or opportunities um, impact or are more or less available for men and women, but that we are actively looking to challenge and change those structures, those power hierarchies to achieve that equitable access in um, opportunities and resources. So really looking at a critical examination and a changing of those workplace norms, those workplace policies. And so in that sense, there's a short term and a long term and it does need to be taken in with an eye toward or like that gender transformative and not being blind to the institutionalized biases that already exist. Flexible work, telework, these types of policies, they're important because parents, caregivers as a whole need that support now. But we've seen in, we've seen that with parentally, for instance, when they're, uh, when they are transferable, women tend to take the majority of the leave because that's how families kind of feel structured or incentivized to do it. In, in um, households right now under lockdown or in shelter in place, when it came to care work, women were more likely to take on the care work and reduce the amount of hours they were working or remove themselves from the workforce altogether instead of men, instead of uh, their uh, male partners. So even as, so we can't just sit in these flexible, gender blind, flex, uh, flexible work, telework types uh, situations. There has to be a deeper shift uh, for longer term change. And we need to break the stereotype that it's on the mothers to take care of their children, to take care of their families, to do the domestic work. So workplaces need to start acknowledging that men aren't doing enough and to start encouraging them to fully take on those responsibilities as care caregivers. So you can do this through workplace campaigns and policies, um, through kind of creating images of that or um, structures that encourage men to take on that role, allowing men to bring uh, children to uh, to to work um, as a care as a care option. Um, providing space specifically for men to do care working, not because their needs are more important than women, but because we need to incentivize and create that kind of individualized space while we work to shift those larger norms in the long term. And then also modeling of this. So those CEOs or men in higher positions need to start modeling this to, sh to showcase that it is possible and that it is a priority for the organization as a whole. Some, I think in some cases, there's this fear with all employees and with a lot of merit that taking time for caregiving or personal matters leads to longer term consequences within the workplace. So we need to in address those both real like legitimate fears and um, kind of maybe not legitimate fears for repercussions by modeling the type of behavior we need analyzing what kind of systems and policies are in place and who 
un is aware of those policies and who is taking advantage of those policies. And for those who are not, understanding why or why they may not be taking it. So looking at it from a behavioral, kind of a behavioral science perspective of like, how can we incentivize you? What's uh, stopping you from doing this? And how can we ensure that as an organization, we are encouraging you to do that? So, you know, an audit of kind of policies around caregiving or, or for families, um, better awareness of what those policies for the employees might be. And then constant monitoring of the implementation of these policies so that it's not kind of reverting back into what you call the mommy trap, but that it is more kind of across the board. That sounds really, really helpful to, you know, for you to lay out all the different steps and more details. So thank you very much. Now, I've been reading your report and one of the things I felt was I was really curious to find out was that you said there are many STEM related programs around the world to have girls, um, you know, focus for their future professions, something related to STEM. But by contrast, there was nothing you could find mm -hmm. on a, an equivalent for boys to look into more carer or education type programs. How do we also make sure that care and education becomes more like, you know, equal for anyone? Yeah, no. And I, I think that that was one of the things that's, uh, that we're seeing that's a little bit, you know, disappointing when you look at the trends, but also is very reflective of the way that care work as a whole um, is devalued. It's not considered a valuable skill priority in communities in, uh, on the national level, on the global level. And so we're prioritizing those activities for young men and young girls that we think are, are more valuable in the long-term. And there needs to be a shift to understand, which is why we talk a lot about, or why we emphasize economies are subsidized by unpaid care work by unpaid domestic work. And so we don't see necessarily accounted for in GDPs or in economic shifts, but it is very much the spine of a lot of what we're able to do. And even for young women who enter into STEM programs, there's still going to be an assumption as they, grow, as they go through school or grow older that they're going to take on the care work. So we need, so there's been a lot of work to, to work with young girls to help uh, remove those barriers and build that kind of op those opportunities. But there needs to be an equal and opposite work with young men that say care work is not a devalued, it's not something that should be put to the side. It's not something that women should do. It's something that we all need to do as part of being, as, as being part of a community. So it's gonna take a lot of community institutional buy-in because you first have to, I think societies first have to recognize that care work is a central component to societies and it needs to be valued and put on the forefront. So unless there is that buy-in, it becomes more and more difficult to do it on a larger scale. You can do it. So we, um, we reference Roots of Empathy, for instance, um, in the 
in the report, as well as other kind of smaller scale opportunities to kind of incentivize men in either paid or unpaid uh, care professions. But those are small scale. We need larger scale, larger, um, a larger shift in how we understand care. So that means reassessing the focus of school curricula and what it values and what it doesn't value. Remember, we have to remember that our school schools, our youth programs, those drivers, they demonstrate what our values are as a society. And then we work to incentivize uptake by showing the long-term impact of building an ethic of care. So many men who I referenced earlier, who have spent time caring for their kids and during the pandemic have had less stress and better mental health. Um, and this is also true for men who spend more time with their children at a younger age for um, undertaking care work um, and caregiving. So there's longer term benefits in, in terms of mental health and development, both for men and children and even women. There's increased gender equitable attitudes and, and beliefs that are espoused by young boys when they see their fathers doing care work, doing this work and an increased sense of shared responsibilities. We have to start young and we have to say that we are part of communities. We're not just kind of working by ourselves and hoping that others can support us along the way. It's so amazing to talk with you and hear all your knowledge. And now, is there anything that we haven't touched upon that you would like to make sure our listeners know about? I think that there's just, a, there's a lot of sense of how do we do it or can it even be done? And it truly can be achieved. It truly can be done. It's not, we don't want to take a pessimistic view towards kind of this grand crisis around caregiving. There's a number of communities that have taken on a really smart, effective best practices. I mentioned Uruguay earlier. Rwanda has demonstrated a great commitment. The Ministry of Health has demonstrated a great commitment to expanding programs that target fathers and fatherhood. Um, recently in Georgia, there were campaigns around positive fatherhood and imagery around uh, model, models of fa positive fatherhood as part of that. You're seeing gender equitable fatherhood being taken up by a lot of the Scandinavian countries. And so there are practices, there are models It does take time and it does take advocacy. And so we hope that, you know, the resources and the research that Promundo and Men Care are creating can help to at least identify opportunities or weight avenues to, to achieve that. How can people find out about your work, Promundo's work and the State of the World's Father report? Oh, of course. So they can visit our website, uh, www.com promundoglobal.org or go to the MenCare website www.men-care.org. There's also a standalone site for State of the World's Fathers. It is stateoftheworldsfathers.org. Um, we can, I can send them to you to, to share um, after this call. And then also you can uh, follow us on Twitter um, at PromundoUS or at MenCare underscore global. Great. And I will be sure to put all of this in the show notes as well. So people can follow up and um, read the State of the World's Father report. So 
I, I so appreciative that you were um, able to come to be a guest on my show. Thank you so much, Apta. Thank you. It's been such a pleasure. I really enjoyed having the opportunity to speak to you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the show. We hope you gained valuable insights and new ideas. To keep listening to future episodes, please head over to iTunes or your favorite player and subscribe and give it a rating. We would very much appreciate a review and for you to share it on social media so more people can start innovating in how they offer employment. Until the next time, goodbye!